You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This week, I sit down with legendary sports commentator, sports writer, author, radio personality, and screenwriter Ray Dittinger to discuss the Eagles and their struggles this season. We talk about everything from the debate of analytics in the game today to the psychology of Carson Wentz's performance and the tough six-game stretch that lies ahead. I also get to hear a little bit behind Ray's decorated career as an author and what the future holds for him and why he refuses to buy a cell phone. Get ready to hear Ray tell it like it is on this episode of Gun on One. And uh, it is bright and shiny on this day, but there is indeed a dark cloud hovering over your Philadelphia Eagles. Disgusted, embarrassed, perplexed, dumbfounded. And I'm not even talking about the team. I'm talking about the fan base of Philadelphia right now because this team has come out of a bye and they've gone from bad to worse. And I don't see it getting much better in the near future whatsoever when you look at the schedule they have coming up. Of course, uh, they got close. But once again, they fell apart as they lost to the Cleveland Browns 22-17 on Sunday, the second consecutive week. They can't score more than 17 points. So as we do each and every week, we try to rehash the Eagles game and talk about where do the problems lie. And so I've tried to bring in experts each and every week, and there is no better expert than my guest for this particular podcast. I've known this man for over two decades. I'm more than proud to call him not only a colleague but a friend. I've worked with him for years. He is a Hall of Fame writer. He is on WIP Radio. He is on NBC Sports Philadelphia, uh, Eagles pre- and post-game shows. He is an author. Uh, He has worked for NFL Films, and I apologize if I've left anything out of his long and illustrious career, but he is the one, the only, Ray Dinger. Ray, how are you, my man? I'm doing just great, Derek. How are you doing? Great to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, man. I miss you in the studio, but, you know, obviously with COVID being what it is, such is the case. Um, But I I tell you what, Ray, um, you have covered this team a lot longer than I have. And the first question I have to ask you is, give me your general overview of what you've seen uh, of this team, not just uh, this particular week, but for the season. Oh, man. 
where do you begin? Uh, it's uh, it's a mess. It really is. Um, and you know, it, it seems. I mean, it seems like a million years ago. <laughs> but when <laughs> but when this but when this whole thing started, that first game in Washington, um, they come out of the they come out of the starting gate, and bang, bang, bang! It's seventeen nothing. Heck, you're thinking that they're gonna they're gonna you know this team's going to be sixteen and zero. You know, <laughs> I mean, the first half of that Washington game, they looked unbeatable, uh, and and then there's the one the you know Wentz throws the interception that Washington all of a sudden they get a touchdown and they're in the game, uh, and then they come back and dominate the second half, and it's been a downhill downhill sleigh ride ever since. It's you know, you pointed out, and you're right. I mean, I've been covering this team a long time. This is 50 years now. Wow. So, so I've seen uh, a lot of Eagles football. Uh, I've seen it good. I've seen it bad. Uh, I've seen it great as it was in Super Bowl 52. Uh, and I've seen it really bad. But I don't know that I've ever seen a season that is as perplexing as this one. It might be the best way of describing it. I mean, I, mean, I know right now they're – they're not a good team, but I have to believe they're better than what they're showing. Mm-hmm. And we, you, me, everybody has seen Carson Wentz be a much better player than he is right now. But right now, he's a broken quarterback, quarterback and a broken team. Carson Wentz is a focal point of everybody's frustrations, and it's understandable. Um, I think we agree. He's not a pocket passer. I've been screaming this forever. But Considering he's been in this system five years, I'm foolish enough to keep saying I'm waiting to see some type of improvement week to week, even as bad as it is right now. But yet he continues to regress. Why? Why is that, Ray? Why do you? Why is he getting worse instead of better? Uh, that's a real hard one because there are things now that he's that he's doing worse. Things now that he seemingly can't do that we saw him do at a much earlier point in his career. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember um, he, he's never been the most mechanically pure uh, passer that I've seen. Uh, I mean, his footwork kind of comes and goes. His, uh, um, his, his, his delivery kind of comes and goes. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Um, his launch points are sort of all over the place at times. I mean, so his mechanics have always been, a little bit of an issue. Uh, but one of the things that he demonstrated, and this is really true as a rookie, and then certainly in 2017, was he was a guy that played with a lot of awareness. He saw the field. He made good decisions with the ball, um, didn't turn it over, uh, certainly didn't make big mistakes in the red zone. Right. Uh, and now he's doing all of that. So that's – you know, that's, that's the really perplexing part because you've seen him be really good. We've all seen young quarterbacks, and we see them have, you know, have all these kinds of issues early in their career. Right. And then with experience, they work their way out of it, and they become smarter, they become savvier, they begin to see the field better, they make better decisions with the ball, and you see the turnover factor and the interceptions typically come down if he's a good player. Um, with Wentz, it's going the other way. I mean, he started off better than he is now. And mm-hmm. now the mistakes are up at a level where, I mean, he's the worst in football. I mean, it's, I mean, you look across the board, he's, he leads the league in interceptions. He leads the league in sacks. 
uh, and yesterday, you know, the, the Eagles are far and away uh, leading leading the league in three and outs. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, they're they're they have more three and outs than any offense in football. And there are a lot of bad offenses in football right now. But they they lead in three and outs, and they had five yesterday against a Browns defense that frankly isn't that good mm-hmm. and was missing its best player. So, yeah, I mean, you and I could talk forever about what's wrong with mm-hmm. this team. Um, but the real question is, can they get it right in the time that they have left this season and salvage something out of this mm-hmm. season? Do you think the high volume of hits that Carson has been taking this season is having a direct effect on his overall performance uh, from snap to snap? Um. It's certainly not helping. Uh, the one thing I would say is the issue of holding the ball is 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 really a problem. Uh, I mean, there are episodes within every game, and the safety yesterday is a perfect example of you, you, you just can't do that. I mean, you have to be smarter when you're in your own end zone. That clock in your head that we always talk about with quarterbacks, it has to be tick, 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 you know, when the ball's got to be out of your hand. Well, that's true regardless of where you are, but it has to be accelerated when you're in your own end zone. You just have to know where you are and what you have to do in a situation. And you look at that play and look, Jason Peters gets beat, no question about that. But but Carson Wentz contributes to the problem by just not getting rid of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So do the number of hits contribute to that? Yeah, probably. I, I would say, you know, and I've, and I've looked back at him now over the course of this year with, with what we've seen and this, this clear regression in his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've gone back to 2017, and I've looked at Carson Wentz from 2017. And, you know, I, I don't want to be – I don't want to sound alarmist in saying this, but when you look at him now and you look at the guy of 2017, it, mm-hmm. it really, he almost doesn't look like the same player. Um, he's, and I, and I don't know how much of it has to do with the knee injury. Uh, it's, he just looks, he does look so much slower. Uh, he can't get out of trouble the way he did. He doesn't have the same escapability when, when he's on the move and you're trying to run him, he looks almost plodding now, mm-hmm. which he did in, in 2017. I mean, he was a, he was a, Pretty fast, but very fluid runner. Now it's a plotting thing. And, you know, I know this year he said that he came back and he, he got bigger, he got stronger. I just don't know that it's helped him. Um, certainly it doesn't appear that way. Um, but I think a lot of the problems really deal with what's up here, what's mm-hmm. going on in his mind in terms of his confidence. Uh, and just seemingly, and this, and this kind of goes to the coaching staff, their inability to see what's wrong with him and begin fixing it. You know, right now we're at a point where it just seems to be getting worse instead of better. When you consider how many shots he's taken a game, I've been screaming since the season started, roll this man out of the pocket. He is not a pocket passer. Stop trying to make him what he isn't. His claim to fame to get to the NFL was his ability to use that athleticism to create plays, to extend plays, and to make plays on the move. Now, Doug Peterson said last week that maybe I should call more rollouts for him. Okay, we come to the Cleveland game. We don't see it until the fourth quarter. He just said at his Monday press conference again, maybe I need to call more rollout plays for Carson. What is going on in Doug's mind in terms of not utilizing this guy's full array of athleticism? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's 
to me, it's it's pretty obvious. I mean, we, we said a little a few minutes ago about the fact that he's he's not a um, a particularly mechanically pure passer. He's just not. Sure. Um, so his accuracy playing in the pocket, I think, is always going to kind of be up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, to, he's he's much better. Uh, he's much better, and he's much more comfortable, and frankly, much more accurate yes. when he's on the move. And he said that the coaches have said that. Um, well, it's a pretty simple proposition to me. I mean, if that's where he's at his best, that's where he feels the most comfortable. Then you dial those plays up, and then that's one of the frustrating aspects of of the way that the season's evolving. Is yes, on Monday. This is presented to Doug, and he will say, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you're right. We probably should roll them out some more. Then Sunday rolls around, and they don't. You know, I mm-hmm. I was watching – in watching yesterday's game, Eagles and the Browns, uh, I was watching the offense that Cleveland runs and the way they use Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, to me, Baker Mayfield is not that dissimilar from Wentz in that he's certainly not a pure pocket passer, but right. far, far from it. But – Cleveland has set up an offense in a way where they're clearly built around the run. That's what they are. That's what they do. And the passing game works off the run. Everything is some sort of play action or it's a, it's a play action fake rollout where they get, where they get Baker Mayfield outside with a clear view of the field. They run high, low routes on that side of the field. He's got an easy read. It's usually an easy pitch and catch. It makes Baker Mayfield look, in my view, a lot better than he really is. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can contrast that with what the Browns were doing versus with what the Eagles were doing for the better part of three quarters, which was making Carson Wentz try and play in that box when you know your offensive line is having all kinds of protection issues. To me, it just – I just don't understand it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, just don't, I just don't understand what the thinking is. Uh, and from the fan standpoint, uh, I can understand their frustration because – we talk about it. You and I talk about it. The fans yeah. talk about it. But week to week, the team never seems to – they ne- never seem to – they tell you they're listening, but there's nothing on the field that gives evidence mm-hmm. that they are. So Carson Wentz, he's beaten down. He's second-guessing himself. He's seeing ghosts out there in the field because he continuously misses open receivers in, in certain situations. The million-dollar question that's trading throughout this region is, should Carson sit a game? But if not a game, maybe – series or two or a half and, and just watch instead of play the game at this point. Well, that's certainly the conversation. Uh, and uh, it's all over the place. It's now it's unavoidable. Uh, uh, I, I will tell you, and this is just me. Okay. Yep. Uh, I'm not there with that right now. Okay. okay. Uh, and, and part of it, part of it has to do with, um, well, a couple of things. Number one, I just don't know that Jalen Hurts is ready to take on that kind of responsibility yet. I, I agree. Don't. I just don't. I mean, you know, you look at, I mean, he was a really good player at two very good programs, won a lot of games. Um, but he's, he certainly didn't come out of college as a polished passer and he's not now. Uh, he hasn't had enough time or enough reps uh, to get to the point where I'm ready to turn the offense over to him. Right. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't have the spring camps, which are invaluable. He didn't have those. No preseason games, so he doesn't have any of that. And then once you get into the season, the only practice reps he's getting are these these little mini package plays that he's mm-hmm. got, which are all kind of these little 
uh, you know, read option kinds of things. There's nothing that he's been asked to do in terms of a out of the shotgun, pure, take the snap, drop back, throw the ball down the field kind of thing. He hadn't done any of that. So uh, I, I don't think that he's ready to step in. I think it almost be unfair to the kid to put him out there and ask him to be the quarterback right now. I know that people are screaming for it. I just don't know that you're doing anybody a favor, including him by doing that. The other part of it is I'm looking ahead and I don't know if Doug was thinking this yesterday, but I was, I'm looking ahead to who the next opponent is. If you're thinking about making a quarterback change, who's the next opponent? Uh, and the Seattle Seahawks are your next opponent. And right now they are 32nd out of 32 teams in defending against the pass. Mm-hmm. And quarterbacks are completing 70% of the balls against them. They're giving up 360 yards on an average through the air in these games. Their pass defense is far and away the worst in football. So, you know, Doug, and you know this coaching staff, they're going to build their entire game plan this week for Seattle about throwing the ball. There's going to be mm-hmm. throwing the ball, throwing the ball, throwing the ball. This is not going to be a read option game. Okay. This, this, so, this is, if you're ever, if you're even thinking about Jalen Hurts, this isn't the week to roll him out there. You know, I mean, Wentz, look, Wentz has his issues throwing the ball right now. Every, everybody agrees on that. But right now, in a week when everything tells you you're playing against a Seattle team and the way to attack them is to attack them through the air, then I still think, even at this point, Carson Wentz is your best option. And also, maybe, this might be a reach, but maybe, um, going up against a defense that's this bad, who knows? You know, maybe Carson Wentz goes out there and just lights it up. And maybe that's this is a game where confidence is a huge factor for these guys. And confidence is certainly lacking in his game. You can see that. Maybe this is a game where he can go out and have enough success on Monday Night Football that he can start working through some of his own issues and maybe turn his own corner. But, I, you know, I know, I know there's – and you've been through it. I've been through, yeah. it, through it. When you see teams – make a quarterback change. It's not like, you know, it's not like changing Chance Warmack for Steve Wisniewski. You know, that's Mm. those kinds of changes. You know, they're changes that are made, or it's not like putting TJ Edwards in ahead of Nate Gary. You know, it's not, there are changes that are made that don't have the repercussions of a quarterback change. You make a quarterback change, especially with a guy who's been quote unquote, the face of your franchise. It, it just sends shockwaves through the entire Mm -hmm. building. Uh, And you know, right now, as fragile as this whole team is, uh, I can understand Doug's reluctance to do that. So if I were in his shoes, I'm looking at the next opponent. I'm looking at Seattle, the way mm-hmm. I want to attack them. I think I would sooner attack him with Carson Wentz than Jalen Hurts. I've always said the offensive line is the heartbeat of any offense. And you look at this Eagles offensive line. They have now used nine different line combinations through this season. Outside of a Jack Driscoll, most of these guys have been in this system for at least a year. And yet we sit here and look at how discombobulated the offensive line play. How shocking is that to you? Um, surprising. Yeah. Surprising because I, 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 I have high regard for Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach. Uh, I think he's a really good line coach. I think he does a really good job uh, with his players uh, and preparing them from week to week. But, yeah, the, the inner workings of an offensive line is, is different from any other unit in football. There, there has to be a, uh, an unspoken kind of communication between them of knowing exactly what the guy on either side of you was going to do. Um, I've come to really appreciate that over the years. Uh, and they haven't had that from the jump with this team. Um, and 
and it, and it shows. I mean, it's Wentz's statistics are pretty awful. We talked about them earlier, mm-hmm. most backs, most interceptions, most turnovers, all of that stuff. But the other part of it you can't, you, you can't dismiss is the fact that in terms of pressures, times that he's been pressured, he's been pressured mm-hmm. on by by this by the analytics people. Forty-two percent of his pass attempts have been under pressure, which that too is the most in football. So mm-hmm. that's contributed to it. And um, so the offensive line, the guys playing in front of him, they haven't played very well. And and you know, Derek, I think when I watch the tape back, uh, one of the things I see is Wentz, even though he will never say this. Um, he doesn't believe in his line right now. You know, when yeah. he's before he gets the ball, before he gets the snap, he's already thinking, I'm going to be in trouble here. You know, he doesn't believe in the guys around him. Now, uh, in, in 2017, that wasn't the case. The offensive line on that team was really good. Even after mm-hmm. Peters went out, Vitae came in and frankly played way better than I thought he was capable of playing. But that offensive line in front of Foles and in, in front of Wentz and then even later in front of Foles, they were really good. And that, having that kind of confidence in the guys up front can make all the difference for a quarterback. So as good as it was in 2017, and it contributed to the year that he had before his injury right now, it's the, it's the flip side of that, you know, right now he'll never tell you this, but he doesn't believe in the guys up in front of him. And if you don't believe in those guys, then that just makes everything start to fall apart. You know, a lot of these teams have moved on to so-called analytics, as you just mentioned, too. And I said on a, a Eagles pregame uh, show that I do for 97.5, The Fanatic, I'm sick of analytics. Let's get back to where the game was called a, by feel, like playing a chess match. You have a feel for what your opponent is trying to do. If you look at some of the most successful coaches in the history of pro football, that's how they call the game. And a lot of them were great at it. We still have coaches who are great at calling the game by feel. When did we arrive at analytics, a computer deciding what's the best next strategic move for your offense or defense? I agree. Uh, I think that that's, you know, and I think that's true in a lot of sports right now. You know, I think we're—I think analytics are, are dictating way too much in baseball. You know, pitching changes and stuff we saw in the postseason. You know, taking a starting pitcher out that's dominating the other mm-hmm. team because mm-hmm. okay, no, we can't let him go through the, the lineup for a third time. Well, right. who says? You know, right. I mean, exactly. But, but we, but you know, the, the 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 teams and the leagues and the sports are being driven by these by these numbers crunchers, and I think that I think feel is so important. Uh, now you, you and I talk about that kind of stuff and these yeah. guys say, oh, you know, that, no, those, those old guys, you know, they're dinosaurs, <laughs> they're stuck in the past, but I, I will tell you that, it, that it's important and it's a big part of, of, of what is a successful philosophy, a winning philosophy. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I just look at, um, uh, to me, just very basic stuff. Um, and I said this to Michael Barkan yesterday, I said, yeah. right now, who's, I'll ask you straight up, Mike. Who's the who's your best who's your best offensive player on this team? And he said, Miles Sanders. I said, Yes, I agree, hundred yep. percent. If we start with that one simple truth, and I think everybody would agree upon it, then historically, from the day the football started, coaches, smart coaches, would say, Who's my best player? Okay, I'm going to sort of build my offense around him, mm-hmm. and I'm going to start there, uh, and I'm going to work everything else off it. A little bit like what the Browns have done in Cleveland. I mean, they understand this. I guess it comes back to the idea of do you have an do you have an identity of what what you are and what you want to be and the way you want to play. 
-hmm. the Cleveland Browns, even though they're not the greatest team in the world, have a very clear identity. They know what they are, they know their strength, and they that's their foundation, and they work everything else off. It's those two running backs. That's what they're going to do. They have a good line. They have two really good backs. Mm-hmm. And the passing game is just going to work off of that. You know, and the Eagles, to me, especially when you have a quarterback struggling the way Wentz is struggling right now, and your best player, everyone would acknowledge, is the running back, then I think you have to kind of reverse your thinking and, mm-hmm. okay, make that our foundation, and we'll work the quarterback and the passing game off of that. I thought, I really thought that's what we were going to see yesterday when they went to Cleveland, especially when yep. the weather was lousy. Yep. You start You start at the game, they don't have Garrett, which, which weakens their defensive line. And then you have that first drive where you just run it right down the field, and they don't even come close to slowing you down. Unfortunately, Sanders turns the ball over. But I really thought, okay, they clearly have established their control of the line of scrimmage here. This is something that they can build on the rest of the game. Well, after that series, they hardly ever got back to it. Mm-hmm. Sanders was, like, not even in the game in the second half. Mm. It, you mentioned a running game. 19 carries, 96 yards in the first half. It's still a close game and a muck-and-grind game. The second half, six carries, net 10 yards, in a game that's still close. Why does this coach get away from a running game? And as you just alluded to, it was so affected out out of the gate, even though it it disintegrated inside the five-yard line, you come back to it. You keep that other offense off the field. And if it's a low-scoring game, that's to your advantage because they can't stop you. But, again, he won't run the football, Ray. No, no, he won't. And, you know, we we talk about Al Sanders' carries went way down in the second half. Boston Scott didn't even touch the ball in the second half. No. He got no carries in the second half, and he had a couple of very nice runs in the first half. I mean, you really – they really had established control of the line of scrimmage on that opening drive. They really did. They could pretty much do whatever they wanted to do. Sanders had to hold on to the ball, but they they were winning the battle at the line of scrimmage, and then they yes. just totally away from it. Whereas you flip that around and you look at the Cleveland Browns, in the first half of that game, the Eagles defense came out clearly with one purpose in mind. We're going to stop the run. We're mm-hmm. not going to let them control us with the run. And for the first half, they really shut down both Chubb and Hunt, but the Browns in the halftime, Kevin Stefanski didn't say, oh, you know what, fellas, we can't run the ball. Forget that. We're going to come out. We're going to throw it 30 times in a second half. No, they came out and they look, we have a game plan, boys. We're just going to have to go out and execute it better, but we're going to keep mm-hmm. running the football. They came out in the second half, and by the end of the day, Chubb had his 100 yards, yes. and, and, and the Browns had control of the game, and they ultimately won it. So they knew what they are. They didn't let a slow start change them. They just kept at it and at it and at it. We've seen good running teams do that in the past. You know, mm-hmm. okay, the first quarter, we're having trouble getting it going. Second quarter, we're still having trouble getting it going. But we know this is what we could do. We know we can do this. Let's just keep doing it. And then, ultimately, it all breaks loose in the second half. The Eagles don't do that. They'll take one shot mm-hmm. at it. If it's not working, then they'll go away from it. And they'll ask, you know, their struggling quarterback to throw it 35, 40 times. Yesterday, at 35 passes and five sacks. Pretty typical for the Eagles on a bad day against a team where you had control of the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of thing that that's the kind of thing that puts teams where the Eagles are right now. Jason Peters, why is he still on the football field, Ray? I don't get it. He he's had his day in the sun as a professional football player. Why is he still playing right now? Um I guess, you know, the the cynical the cynical of those among us would say he's doing it for the money. Um I don't know that that's exactly true, but 
we know that he he likes the money. I mean, he you know he, <laughs> he, he, he wanted he wanted more money to change from guard to tackle. Um, but I mean, this is you know this is not a new development. I mean, we've seen Jason Peters over the last couple of years. Um, we've seen his game decline uh, to the point now where. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, he's not even, he's not even a good player anymore, which is, right. which, is kind, which is kind of a sad thing to say about a guy who is pretty much a lock for the hall of fame, you know, to see him right now struggling the way he's struggling, uh, out at that tackle position, it's, it's kind of a shame. Um, you know, I, I think he was a little disappointed that nobody made an attempt to get him in the offseason, that he was just kind of sitting out there until the Eagles had some injuries, uh, and then they reached out and signed him. But, um, you know, it's to the point now where, you know, he's, he's a once great player who just can't do it anymore. You know, uh, Olivier uh, Vernon is, I mean, he's a good player. Right. But, uh, but he shouldn't be dominating Jason Peters, but he dominated him yesterday. And that's, you know, that's kind of sad to see. Alshon Jeffrey has been on the field two games now. He ha- He's had three targets in two games. Um, I understand you're paying this man a lot of money, and, and Howie Roseman has to justify paying him that kind of money. But should we give up an Alshon? Obviously, he doesn't have it anymore. I mean, I hate to say it, but he doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I when when Two weeks ago when they activated him, when he became eligible to play, um, on the pregame show, they threw out the question to Barrett and to Seth and to me, you know, what kind of a role would you have for him coming back now? And I said, none. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I was a little bit surprised that Barrett and Seth both said, well, you're paying him a lot of money. You might as well get right. him on the field and get him the football. What does the money have to do with it? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, right now, if you look at the receiver core, you know, Greg Ward is what he is. I mean, he's a slot receiver and he's been fine. I mean, he's, he's, he certainly hasn't been part of your problem. Um, you've got, on the other side, you've got Fulgham, who had come on and been this revelation and yeah. had, had become, in a very short time, had become Wentz's favorite receiver, without a doubt. And you had Jalen Rager, who was just the first-round draft pick, who was just now back from his injury, ready to play. Well, well, wait a minute. Why are you going to try and find reps for Alshon Jeffrey? You know? <laughs> Fulgham's your best receiver right now. Rager's a guy you drafted who's just now back who needs to get on the field and play. And then you got Ward who's very comfortable and is a pretty productive third down guy out of the slot. So what, you're going to take, you're going to take snaps. You're going to take reps away from any of those guys to put Jeffrey on the field. Made no sense to me. I, my point was, look, if you want to go, if you want to empty the backfield, you want to go empty backfield and go four wide receivers and Alshon Jeffrey is your fourth of the four for a half a dozen snaps a game. You know, just get you want to give him JJ or Sega White Sides five snaps. Okay, maybe I'll buy that. But it wouldn't be any more, it wouldn't be any more than that. And I certainly wouldn't be giving him snaps mm-hmm. at the expense of any of the other guys. To me, you know, when he became available, it was like, okay, he's available. I'm I'm not certainly not going to go out of my way to try and begin trying to force feed the football to him when I have three other guys that I feel more comfortable with. I look at this defensive line, Ray, and they've invested a lot of money 
in this D-line. And I like the way they came out on Sunday with intensity. They shut down Cleveland's run game, but eventually it started to unravel again. And now that's five consecutive games where this Eagles defense, the run defense, has given up in excess of 130 yards rushing. They gave up a buck 82 against Baltimore. Of course, uh, in, in three of the four previous games, the quarterback had been a leading rusher. But how surprised are you, especially when we've grown accustomed in recent years to watching this defense be a pretty good run-stopping defense unravel the way it has? Yeah, it really has. Um, um, to me, that's one of the bigger surprises of the season. You know, when I looked at the defensive line coming in and uh, you, you saw the Jackson coming back this year, healthy, um, the signing of Hargrave, who was, was a really good player at Pittsburgh, yep. uh, and you paid a lot of money to bring him in. Um, you had Fletcher Cox, obviously. Um, I thought that, that that tackle, that 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 threesome you had inside yep. was real strong, you know, and – uh, I thought it would make the guys on the outside that much better. You know, that, that you'd get that interior pressure, you'd collapse mm -hmm. the pocket, keep the quarterback from climbing the pocket, make him stay deep, and give the guys coming off the edge a better shot at the sacks. I thought that's – and listen, I'm sure that's exactly the way they drew it up. That's what they thought they were going to get. Right. Uh, hasn't worked out that way. Um, you know, Jackson, yeah, yesterday for a half, they played good. Uh, San Francisco. The San Francisco game, I thought they played really well out there. Um, the defensive line, I thought, was the kind of the key to that game, really. But that ain't much over the course of, a, of the mm -hmm. 10 games you played so far. More often than not, they've been sort of a non-factor, to be honest. You know, Jackson's missed time with injuries. Yep. Uh, Hargrave has had minimal impact. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, he sort of alluded when he did his interview last week. He sort of alluded to the fact that making the – transition from the Pittsburgh style of yeah. defensive line play to the Eagles, you know, coming out of that three, four nose kind of position that he played to a one gap three technique thing was a little bit more um, of an adjustment than he thought it was going to be. I, I, I was a little surprised too. I mean, I, I thought that it would be a fairly easy transition because in, in Pittsburgh, if you watch the Steelers and I know yep. you watch the Steelers. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, they they play three, four, but that position, they don't necessarily play it like a pure nose. I mean, there are a lot of times in nickel situations and passing situations, you know, Hargrave would line up in the gap and mm -hmm. he would penetrate. He was, it wasn't purely a reader react thing. So I thought, okay, this isn't going to, it's not like he's going to have to learn a whole lot of new techniques or skills. He's done this before in Pittsburgh. He's just going to be asked to do more of it in Philadelphia. It hasn't translated, you know, that the defensive line, I mean, and when a season goes as far off the rails as this season has gone, I mean, you can point in a lot of different directions for things yep. that are disappointing or surprising. But when you, when you think about the amount of money you've spent there, the amount of high draft picks you've invested there, uh, and your obvious defensive design, which is, no, this is going to be the strength of our defense. It hasn't been that at all. Mm. You know, we have all fairly criticized and chastised the linebacking play overall this season. But I think they may have found a diamond in a rough with this kid, Alex Singleton. I look at the game he had on Sunday against Cleveland. He led the team in tackles with 12. Um, he had a quarterback sack and he had a tackle for a loss. When you look at this young man, um, are, are you in favor of his game or is it still a wait-and-see issue with you when you talk about an Alex Singleton? Um, he may be 
better than we've given them credit for to this point. Uh, I will say this. I think that when you look at the linebacker core as a whole, um, I think I think TJ Edwards is better than Nate Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Singleton's better than Duke Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in, in saying that, I'm not suggesting any of them are pro bowlers. But right, if, you, right. if, you're, if you're just looking at guys that can make a play for you now and again, um, I would I would take Singleton and Edwards over the other two guys who have been starting to this point. Uh, and, you know, Singleton, to me, uh, when he when he had a chance to play a lot in the last preseason, uh, I liked him. I mean, I thought that he was a guy he's, he's one of those guys you kind of like to have on your roster. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he's going to be a good special teams player. You know, right. he's going to, you know, he's going to give you big effort on special teams. He's going to make some plays on special teams. So, and you can probably find roles for him uh, in certain sub packages on defense. Is he ever going to be a real starter? Is he ever going to be an impact player on defense? Mm-hmm. Probably not, but he's a useful kind of guy who's going to hustle, who's going to play hard and will certainly help you on special teams and maybe in certain situations on defense. You know, he may be a little more than that. And I, I agree with you over the last couple of weeks, he's played more, he's mm-hmm. gotten more playing time and he's made the most of it. I mean, he was, he was a guy that, you know, when you were watching the game yesterday, you noticed him, you know, yep. you, you saw him out there. Uh, and with the Eagles linebackers, Lord knows you can go weeks, if not months looking for a linebacker and you never find him. Uh, you notice when, you know, when Alan Sickleton's on the field. You know, I look at what's here on this roster, Ray, and then I look at what they let go. Nelson Aguilar goes to Vegas. All of a sudden, he's catching touchdown passes. And LJ Fort, who couldn't find a niche here, is all of a sudden shining in Baltimore's defense before he got hurt. Jordan Hicks, who couldn't stay healthy here, all of a sudden can stay healthy in Arizona, is having a great season. And the big one, Sidney Jones, who couldn't play here, all of a sudden is playing well down in Jacksonville. To me... It comes down to coaching, or in this case here, a lack thereof. Is that a fair assessment? I th- I think it's a fair assessment. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, in the case of Aguilar and Sidney Jones, um, those are guys that had significant college pedigrees. You know, yeah. I mean, had, Nelson Aguilar was a first round draft pick on merit. Um, no, I mean, he was he was he was a star at Southern Cal. I mean, he was the best receiver on the West coast, uh, at Southern Cal. Um, I, I loved him as a college player when the Eagles drafted him number mm-hmm. 20 overall. I said, great. You know, I think this guy's going to come in here and I think he's going to have a really good pro career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he struggled, struggled early. Uh, then the 2017, they put him in the slot for the first time. He sort of began to feel comfortable and you began to see him start to emerge. And then the next year, he was kind of right back to where he was. Uh, and as much as I like the guy, and I tried to be a big defender of his, I, I, kind of, <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt like when it came down to the end of last year, you know what, it would probably be best for everybody if he just moved on. I think mm-hmm. he kind of needed that. Uh, you know, sometimes you talk about guys, you know, really benefit by a change of scenery. I think Nelson is a classic case of a guy that needed that. And he went yep. out to, he, he, you know, he went out to Vegas, went out to the Raiders. He's gotten into that offense. He's got, you know, John Gruden, who, who's a great motivator, mm-hmm. a, smart, a smart coach. He recognizes what guys can do. He puts them in positions where he lets them play, and he keeps building them up and building them up and building them up. I think he found the right situation and the right coach, and now you're starting to see Nelson Aguilar. All of a sudden, now he's starting to play like the guy we always thought he could be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Sydney, you know, if Sydney hadn't gotten hurt on his pro day, if he hadn't torn his Achilles, would have certainly been not just a first round pick, but a high first round pick. I mean, he had that kind of talent. But he came here, he got off to a slow start because of the injury. When he finally got an opportunity to play, he had a few bad games, clearly lost his confidence. Yep. Everybody, everybody got way down on him. And like Aguilar, it was sort of like one of those things, you know, this kid needs to get out of here and maybe go somewhere else and get a fresh start where he's not a second-round draft pick, where there's not a lot of pressure on him, where people aren't looking at him as this major disappointment. He can kind of go in there under the radar and just play. Uh, and that's kind of what he's done in Jacksonville. So, and Hicks, you know, we all know the situation with Hicks. I mean, everybody liked him here. And when he played, he played well here. He just couldn't stay healthy. That was the mm -hmm. question for him. But, um, you know, when you see guys, and Fort, Fort to me is maybe the more puzzling one because you brought him in, and I, to me, it looked like they never gave him a chance. Right. It looked, like they, it looked like they never gave him a chance to compete. I mean, he was, he was kind of on the roster, played a little special teams. They never really put him in the base defense. And, and then the next thing you know, he's gone. It was like, okay, why did you even bring this guy in here before it looked like he had no plan for him? And he goes down to Baltimore on a good defense and has been a major contributor there. So, I mean, there are some questions to be asked about the personnel evaluation. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certainly some questions you can ask about the roster building. And a lot of this goes to, you know, Howie Roseman and the scouting department. But then the other part of it is you got to look at the coaches and say, why aren't you developing these guys? You know, because how many guys in the last couple of years, and you're down there all the time, would you yeah. say honestly come in and you say, boy, I've seen this guy, man, he got better. Yeah. You know, he, you know yeah. I saw him, I saw him when he came in, but man, he is, he has made so much progress. He is so much better. You don't find those guys. You find them with other teams, you know, where guys get better and better because they're coached up every day. I don't see that right now. So that makes you ask questions about the entire coaching staff. There's a whole lot of people that are on a hot seat for this mess that we've been watching week in and week out. But I'm going to ask you this. Jim Schwartz, Doug Peterson, Howie Roseman, in chronological order, you tell me whose seat is the hottest right now. In terms of the team moving on from them? Yes. Uh, I would say Schwartz. Okay. I would say Schwartz. If, if, this, if this season – uh, just continues on its current path and just winds up, you know, five, you know, five, five, ten, and one or whatever. Yeah. Which yeah. entirely possible. I mean, that, if right now I'm, I'm, that seems kind of likely to me actually. But if that, if, that, if that's where, if that's where this thing ends up, um, we, you and I both know there's going to be changes. Mm -hmm. um, so now the question is, okay, what are they? Um, and I would say. I would say Schwartz is probably to me number one because he to me is the easiest. Um, you know, ultimately these decisions are going to be made by Jeff. Uh, and we know Jeff has a very, a, a really strong relationship and deep affection for Doug. Um, and I think that now this is just me guessing. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, so everybody else can have their own guesses, but I think that given what Doug accomplished in 2017, even though it's getting further in the rearview mirror, it's still mm -hmm. there. Um, mm -hmm. I think that Jeff is going to be inclined to, and people aren't going to want to hear this, but I think Jeff is going to be inclined to say, you know, 2020, everything that was going on, the crazy year that it was, COVID, no training camp. You know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to fire Doug Peterson. But with what he's accomplished, winning a Super Bowl, three straight years in the playoffs, I'm not going to fire him. 
after 2020 with everything that was happening. Mm -hmm. I got to give him another chance next year. Now, next year, could he be on the hot seat? Yeah, maybe. But I don't think you're going to make that dramatic a move off of the year 2020, given what he's already accomplished. So I think Doug is safe. Um, we all know how Jeff feels about Howie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it's purely Jeff is the only reason that Howie's still with the organization because Chip wanted him gone. So when, when Chip forced him out of football, you know, Jeff kept him in the building and kept him doing the, the cap stuff and the salary stuff. But Jeff made the point of, I know the coach wants him gone, but no, I don't want him gone. He's still here. I think that bond still exists. Mm-hmm. What may what may happen with Howie, and it may not be the worst thing given the way this team has drafted over the last few years, is if not move if not moving him out of football altogether, uh, bringing in another guy to be kind of the next Joe Douglas, who who is kind of the super scout, is kind of the guy that's the football guy who does the scouting, builds the draft board, all that kind of stuff. If Howie wants to stay involved, he can stay involved, but bring in somebody else to help him doing the drafts. Um, you certainly, you're, certainly Howie should continue to do the salary cap and the contract negotiations because I think that's his strength. Um, but I don't see Jeff. Jeff is going to probably look at the drafts and say, we need to shape this department up. Mm-hmm. I don't think in the course of shaping it up that, that, that Howie is going to get forced out the door. I just don't see that. I, I, I think it's a case that I think it comes down to relationships. And I think Jeff's relationship with Howie is such that he's going to stay. So, okay. Uh, if those two guys are safe, some other people are going to go. Uh, and I would say <clears throat> Schwartz is a possibility. I could say Dave Fipp is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the special teams have not been special at all for a couple of years now. Uh, so I think there'll be changes within the coaching staff. And those would be probably the two most visible ones. As mind-boggling as it is, this team at 3-6-1 and one could still win the division and still get a playoff spot. But even with that said, when you look at the current structure of the roster, does it need to be torn down and rebuilt in 2021? Um, yeah, a lot of um, and some of it. Some of it is just going to come in the course of natural attrition. I mean, yeah. you're just going. You're going to lose some of your veteran players. Just aren't going to be back. You know, Jason Peters. I I, I can't imagine he's going to be back. No, you know, no. you know, Deshaun Jackson. Probably. You know, we've seen the last of him. Yeah. Um, you know, this this may be it for Jason Kelsey. You know, I, I hate to say it, uh, but you know, I mean, every year he sort of goes through this. Do I want to keep putting myself through this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kelsey could possibly walk away. So I mean, there are some older players on this team that may just go the way of older players and you're just going to turn the page on some of them. Um, as far as the, the rest of the roster. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you, you really have to do a, a real reevaluation of the way you build your defense. They're going to have a tough decision to make with a Derek Barnett, you know, mm-hmm. who's not, it's not a matter of age with him, uh, but you're going to have to make a commitment to him on his contract. Now you're going to have to either re up him with a new contract for a lot more money or, you know, are, based on what Derek Barnett has done this in his career as an Eagle, do you see them giving him a big long-term contract? I don't. No, no. I don't. I, no, I don't know if that means parting ways with him. Uh, but, you know, he's coming at the end of that contract. Now he's going to be in a position where he's got to negotiate his next big deal coming off the rookie deal 
Mm. I don't know that he's shown you enough, either in terms of his week in and week out performance or his ability to stay on the field to warrant that. So, you know, there's there's another guy that could possibly be out of here. So, yeah, I think you kind of have to accept the fact that, look, as great as 2017 was, and God knows it was great. I mean, yeah. We all love that ride. Um, the fact is, you know, you can say they made the playoffs three straight years, but the fact is we all know now each year you've taken a step back, mm -hmm. you know, that next year you got to the playoffs and you won a game, luckily, but you won a game <laughs> yeah. and you went to the next round and you lost. Well, last year you got to the playoffs, but you went out in the first round. Yep. And now this year, barring a miracle and it would clearly be a miracle, you're not going to go to the playoffs. So, I mean, you can see it. I mean, you, you've been, you've been trending down now for, for three years. Uh, and that's not an accident. I mean, that's, when you see that kind of a pattern, then that's what you are. Uh, and I think that they need an, an infu I think they need to make some changes in the coaching staff. I think mm -hmm. they clearly need to improve their scouting department. Uh, and they need to, to get younger and better on the field. Yeah, I mean, they got some work to do. They really do. And, you know, the way this year has played out, um, I think everybody in the building recognizes it. I mean, they kind of see what they are right now. I mean, this is the worst division in the history of football. Yeah. And they're not even capable of winning that. So to get back into where you're playing with the big boys and you're really competing to try and win another Lombardi trophy, no, they have to get much better. So who's rebuilding and reorganizing this crumbling foundation? That's what worries me. Mm -hmm. Do they go out and get another Joe Douglas, hopefully, or are they going to put it in the hands of Howie again? Don't know. That's a decision yeah. that Jeff's going. That's a decision Jeff's going to have to make. Um, you know, Andy Weidel who was Joe's, who was Joe Douglas's top guy. Uh, he more or less took and assumed Joe's role. Uh, and he's now kind of the new Joe Douglas. Yep. Uh, is the determination going to be that you know, he's ready to take on greater responsibility? I don't know. Uh, I think they, you know, I think they kind of might need a new, a new fresh set of eyes uh, in terms of their talent evaluation. Uh, and, you know, I thought that this year, you know, I looked at this year's draft, and it just had me scratching my head. I mean, right from right from the weekend that it went down. I mean, I looked at it. I said, well, "What are they doing?" You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, you, you get in the first round of the draft, and we all said we all said they needed receivers. Everybody agreed they needed receivers. Um, and then you go down. Okay, you know, Rugs comes off the board. Too bad he's a really good player. Okay, Lamb goes to the Cowboys. Oh boy, he's in our division. Great. Uh, but you're still – Justin Jefferson is sitting right there. I mean, he's right in front of your face. You know, you need a receiver. You got the best receiver coming off the national championship team. All yep. the skills in the world. Good kid, hard worker. I mean, this is – I mean, you can't, you can't miss this. Oh, but they did. <laughs> and they draft Rager. Um, because they have this idea that, well, now Jefferson, now he's just too limited. He's just a slot guy. You know, mm -hmm. Rager's more versatile. It was, just, it was just so wrong in so many ways. They just outsmarted themselves. And then they get to the second round, and they outsmart themselves again by drafting a quarterback. Uh, and then the third round, they take Taylor, this linebacker, because he had a great combine. But he can't play football. You know, it was, <laughs> it, it was, it was a draft. It, it, you know what it, you know what it was, Derek. Getting back to what we talked about about ten or fifteen minutes ago, yeah. it was a very analytics-driven draft. Thank they drafted, you. They drafted a lot of guys that that could vertical jump, that could run a fast forty, 
that could bench press 225. But if you if you put the tape on, they weren't they were not ready they were not ready for primetime players. They weren't. And I still believe if they were fascinated with with Hertz and they wanted to bring him in and try to work with him and make him into a quarterback, I I firmly believe this to be true, having talked to people around the league about mm-hmm. what the evaluations and the grades of players were, that if they had done the obvious and taken Jefferson with the first pick, when he was right there, you didn't have to trade up for him, he was right there for you. If they had taken Jefferson, number one, um, you still were, you needed multiple receivers anyway. I mean, right. there was no question. I mean, one wasn't going to do it. You needed multiple. Okay, go to the second round. If you really like Rager, and there are reasons to like him, Okay, if you really like him, he's going to be there in round two. I, I firmly believe that Rager would have been there in round two. You could have gotten Jefferson in round one. You could have gotten Rager in round two. And nobody would have quarreled with that because everybody agreed you needed receivers. Yeah. Uh, and then I really believe in the third round, you could have gotten Hurts in the third round. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, ju- I just think that they, they so jumped the shark here uh, in this draft that they passed up the best player at that position, who was Jefferson. And they overdrafted the next two guys. Yep. Uh, and, then, and then Taylor, whatever Taylor is or whatever Taylor was going to be, was going to be that. I mean, but he's, I mean, everybody knew, everybody, based on my own evaluations, and everybody I talked to said, yeah, he's a good kid, and he's certainly a talented athlete. But he's hardly played any football, and he's nowhere yeah. close to being ready to play in the NFL. Yeah. But, and, and, but he sure as heck wasn't a third-round pick until they made him one. So, um, yeah, I just think that that whole idea of talent evaluation has to be rethought, you know, and it has to be, I understand that a lot of analytics are part of it. That's part mm-hmm. of one of the things you want to weigh, but you don't let it drive the draft. Yep. Uh, and I think this year it did. And I think it's one of the things that hurt them. So there's six games left in the regular season. What will Ray Dittinger be watching closely from this point on? Man. I think that the I think that the Carson Wentz soap opera is, uh, I mean that's that that's what I'm going to be watching how how it plays out, how he performs, and how the coach handles it, uh, because it's um, I mean it's becoming like handling him is like, it's like diffusing a bomb right now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's such a touchy it's such a touchy situation. I mean, you've invested so much in this guy, and I'm not just talking about the money. The money's right, a right. part of it, but right. but the but the investment of time, the investment of the entire organization, kind right. of building everything around this guy with the idea that he's going to be. Let's face it. I mean, they, they, their idea they, they, he's going to be their Peyton Manning. You know, he's going to be. I mean, he's going to be that guy, uh, and. And now, I mean, he is just a mess. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if you would say. It might seem a little too flippant to sure. say he's the worst. He's the worst. It might seem too flippant to say he's the worst quarterback in the NFL, um, because look, statistically, there's certainly evidence of that. But I mean, this is a league where you do have Drew. You do have. I mean, you do have Gardner Minshew, and sure. you do have Sam Donald. So, and we have some guys in this league that are playing quarterback. That we've never seen be great. That's we've right. never seen to be great. Okay, we, we have seen Carson Wentz be great. So um, I, I don't, I don't want to say he's the worst quarterback in the league because we've seen him be really good. Um, but where he is right now, um, he's part of. You know, you can't. I really like the guy. I've been rooting for him. I believed yeah. in him wholeheartedly. I really did think he was a guy that had 
had the stuff to be a championship quarterback. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it's gone. I can't believe it's gone at this point. Um, but right now, it's it's on it's on this coach and this organization to try and begin putting the pieces of that guy back together again. And they've got this many games left to do it. That's why I'm not. I'm just not in a great rush to put Jalen Hurts on the field again. Partly because yep. I don't know that he's ready for it. Yep. And partly, but the other part of it is as painful as it is to watch Wentz play now, and as much as people don't want to hear it, I think you kind of have to invest the rest of this year into seeing what you can salvage out of this guy. And if by the end of the year you're seeing signs that he's kind of getting it back again. I mean, that's if unless you're ready to totally move on from him, yeah. and I, I, I guess some fans are, I wouldn't be. But you've got, I think the rest of this season kind of has to be about trying to get him back on some kind of a footing where by the end of the year, you think, okay, yeah, we have a quarterback back again. Because right now, you can't, if, if you ask that question, most people are going to say no. All right, enough of the football talk. I, and you talk football your whole life. You probably talk football in your sleep. I have a couple of other questions I want to ask you before I let you go. Number one is, you have authored, what, six, seven books? Am I correct? Uh, actually, 11. Oh, excuse me, 11 books. <laughs> now, I'm a guy I just, I just, been, I just uh, finished, I just finished, I just finished, actually, I just finished my 12th. I just finished writing my book. Oh Oh my goodness. All right. So I'm a guy who's been trying to sit still. I've always wanted to write a children's book. Mm-hmm. I can't even sit still long enough to write a paragraph. How do you sit still long enough to write not one, not two, not three, but 12 books, right? What's the key? Um, I was told to do it. I got, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it, re- it really wasn't uh, for most of them. It really wasn't a matter of choice. Um, yeah. p- publishers came to me with, uh with the idea of of a book that they wanted to have written sure uh, and and they and they came to me with the proposal and they said hey we want to we want to do this book we want you to do it are you interested um it, it, it isn't like uh whenever i say i've done 11 or 12 books people right. think that i you know that, that i somehow had the inspiration to come up with these ideas and then i wrote them and then i kind of just like the vacuum cleaner salesman went door to door trying to sell the idea. <laughs> no, the idea came. The idea came to me, uh, and then it was just a matter of me choosing. Yes, I can do it, or no, I can't. And I've I've never been one to walk away from uh, an opportunity or a challenge. So that's that's how it, that, that's how it came about. The the one I just did, the one I just finished, that'll come out next spring, uh, which is my memoir, uh, yeah. was actually that's actually was my idea. That's the first one where I kind of thought. You know, after 50 years in the business, yeah. uh, all in one town, um, and now having seen the Eagles being there to see them finally, finally win a Super Bowl, um, there just seemed to be a certain kind of closure to it. And sure. so I, I, so I came up with the idea. I said, why don't I just sit down and just write a book about my 50 years of Philadelphia sports? Uh, so that's kind of how that one came about. But the other ones, no, they, they were all brought to me. All right. So let's see. You, you're still doing radio on WIP. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're doing TV, Eagles pre- and post-game live on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. You're still writing books. Will Ray Dittinger ever slow down? <laughs> My <laughs> wife asks me that every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I might be. I might be. I, I've actually thought about it. I, had, I just um, had to sign um, a new con- – I had to negotiate a new contract both with the radio and the TV station. Uh, yeah. about, about whether I was going to keep working. Uh, 
And I felt like, um, I, I always kind of said that I, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing as long as I enjoy it. Sure. Because as long as it's fun. Uh, and you and I have both talked about this because you feel Absolutely. the same way. Absolutely. You feel the same way. Uh, it's really, it, while it's still fun, uh, I'm going to keep doing it while it's still fun. And I, I also have the awareness that, and this came out of a conversation I had with Franco Harris many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. when, when Franco said, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, and I was a little kid, eight, mm -hmm. seven, eight years old, just starting to play sports, um, I wanted to be a football player. Mm. You know, I, I wanted to play football. I wanted to play in the NFL. I wanted to play with those guys I used to see on TV on Sunday. Um, and he said, and now I am, you know, and, uh, and this is my dream. And he said, every Sunday when I would get dressed to go out to play for the Steelers, um, I would think about that, that, you know what, you're living your dream right now. This is what you always wanted to be. This is what you always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And here it is, you know, do you realize how lucky you are? And he said, every single time I took the field, um, and listen, he was lucky to be, he, he, he understood how lucky he was to be taking the field with those guys. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> that, that helped a lot. But he said, every time he walked, every time he walked up the tunnel, went on the field, he felt like he was stepping into his dream. Uh, and he said, so that was why he played as long as he did. It wasn't to chase Jim Brown's record. It was right. just because this is what I always wanted to be. This is what I always wanted to do. How lucky I am. I'm going to do this for as long as I can do this. And, you know, that always kind of resonated with me. And I think kind of in my own way, uh, it's been a little bit the same thing for me. This is what I always wanted to do. Yep. I've had the opportunity to do it. And so I'm going to keep doing it as long as it's fun. All right. Will Ray Dettinger ever get a cell phone? You are oh, the only easy. man. You are the only man in America who does not have a cell phone. But yet you've advanced in technology to the point you are sitting here with me on a Zoom conversation. That is correct. However, however, <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in total and complete disclosure now, I, I have to say that my wife set this whole thing up. <laughs> All, this whole thing, I couldn't have done. I couldn't have done any of this. You, yeah. I mean, you would be talking to a blank screen right now if, if my, <laughs> my wife hadn't been here. She, she put the call in. She found the link. She pushed all the buttons. She did everything but put me in the chair. Actually, she did put me in the chair. Uh, and uh, and so this whole thing is happening purely, purely thanks to her grasp of technology. I have none of that. Uh, and in answer to your question, as far as having a cell phone, no. Why? Why? I ask you this question all the time. Why? Um, I don't, you know, it's not, people think I'm just being stubborn now. People right. think it's just, people think it's just now, now you're just being stubborn. Now, now right. it just, it doesn't make any sense. You right. know, um, now you're just trying to prove a point. No, it's not really that. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, you know, Derek, I've just never, I've just never felt the lack of it. You okay. know, if people, if people want to get in touch with me, they know how to get in touch with me. Mail still yeah. works. Uh, people, you know, my family all have my phone number. Uh, yeah. Pretty much everybody that needs to have my email has my email. I can answer email. I can do email. Yes, you can. Uh, I can testify to yeah. that. Okay. So, I mean, I've, I've come that far at least. But um, but the whole cell phone thing, no, I just don't like it. I, I, I you know, I just don't want to be, I just don't want to have it in my pocket and feel like, because if I, if I have that stuff with me, I'll feel like I just never left the office. Okay, uh, and, and I just I just kind of need when I'm done working 
and I, you know, get in the car to come home, I just kind of want to like leave it behind me. And to yeah. me, if I have the phone, I haven't left it behind me. So for those reasons, um, plus the fact that I, you know, I, I just have trouble with the buttons and stuff. I've tried to do it. I just can't do it. So I, one of the things that's about me, I kind of know, I kind of know what I'm good at yeah. and what I'm not good at. And I don't try to cross the two. If I'm not good at something, I'm willing, I'll just move on. See, in, in that regard, I wish I was more like you because I'm one of millions now. I can't go anywhere without this device. I, I will turn around and go home if I leave my cell phone at home because I've got to have it now. I oh, mean, yeah. I, run, I run all my life through a, 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 a cell phone now. And that's, um, and, that's, and that's the way everybody is, isn't it? The guy I do the Saturday-Sunday radio show at yeah. WIP with Glenn Mack now, I've seen him. He is absolutely a slave to his cell phone. Yes. I mean, if he, I've been with him on remotes a couple times when at the end of the show, he thinks he might have lost his phone and he starts like scrambling around and yep. on the desk and the papers. And, oh my God, oh my God, my phone, my phone, my phone. I, I never want to be like that. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like, um, you know, that I'm somehow tethered to this kind of technology. I'm perfectly fine doing it the way I do it. Hey, speaking of Glenn Macnow, another guy who I have the utmost respect for and I consider a dear friend such as yourself. You and Glenn do a radio show on WIP on Saturday and Sunday mornings. I love listening to you guys. And you guys have a concept called Tell Us Your Story. Right. And you you guys blessed me by allowing me to be on your, your show and telling my story back in August. How did and you, you guys were great, come up? by the way. Thank you. How, were you. how did you guys come up with this concept? Glenn's idea. I give him full credit. Um, okay. It, it started back when um, when the pandemic hit, and, okay. and and the whole world of sports kind of went ooh, you know. And so here you are, got to do three hours of talk radio every Saturday and every Sunday, and yeah. nobody's playing. Nobody's playing nothing. <laughs> There's nothing going on. Um, and so you still got to fill the time. Sure. So Glenn, Glenn came up with this idea. He said, "Why don't we um, just get a guest every week?" Um, and when we were doing Saturdays and Sundays, a guest each day, two guests a weekend, uh, and just have them come on. And for one hour, just tell us your story. You know, start from when you were a kid, where you grew up. Tell me about your family, how yeah. you started playing sports, and then all the way up through your career. Um, and we just kind of viewed it as a way to kind of fill an hour uh, of content. But sure. what, what we found out was these interviews were so good. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's it's there aren't that many people. You're, you're, it's rare, both in television and radio, to hear a, a long form interview anymore. You know, to just get somebody to sit down and relax and just talk for an hour. You know, everything is everything's about quick cuts, quick bites, all that kind of stuff. That the idea of a long form interview, we weren't sure that the audience would really have uh, uh, the patience for it. But what sure. we found out was that they really liked it. Uh, and the other thing we found out was to get these people on the show and get them to start talking about their childhood and their parents and their mm -hmm. coaches, uh, it just opened people up. And it, and it began, and we've always had so many people say, you know, I haven't talked about this in so many, year, so many mm. years, um, that the interviews uh, always went in some unexpected directions. Like we did Herschel Walker uh, yeah. and, and Herschel, talked about when he was in elementary school that he was the uh, the fat kid on the on the school bus mm. uh, and he stuttered uh, and he was bullied all through grammar school uh, and that was when he decided his, his father said you know son you have to stand up for yourself 
Uh, and that was when Herschel Walker started doing the push-ups and the sit-ups. And that was how Herschel Walker became the guy that he is now. It started because yeah. he was bullied as a kid. Um, just great stories like that. And this past Saturday, we had Adam Taliaferro, yeah. uh, uh, who told his story about, obviously, the um, the catastrophic injury he suffered in his fifth game at Penn State. Uh, and then his recovery being told he only had a 3% chance to ever walk again. Uh, and then that, that agony of that year of trying to work his way back to the point where just 11 months after the injury, you know, he led the team onto the field at state college for the start of the next season. Just, just a great, great story. Uh, and he told it so well, man, we got so many emails from that, that people, said, you know, that they were listening to it and they were in tears because his story is so inspirational. Yeah. So, I mean, we've done, I think, Derek, I think we've now done 52 or 53 of them. Wow. Uh, and they uh, and they just seem to get better and better. Now, if people don't get to hear them live on WIP on Saturdays, where else can they find the Tell Us Your Story format? Uh, they, uh, If you go to the WIP website and you go to the podcast, uh, you go to the tab where it says podcast and you go on there. Um, they have the whole archive of all of them going all the way back with the names and the dates. So you can go all the way back and you can do the Adam Taliaferro one. I really recommend that. That was so good. Um, the interview with you was terrific talking about, I, I learned stuff about you that I didn't know. I mean, I've known you for 20 years plus. Yeah. But yet, I mean, you told me stories about your growing up and your background and how you got into broadcasting. Uh, it was fascinating stuff. That was a great one. <laughs> uh, that's that's in the archive. Uh, we interviewed Mike Ruzioni, the captain of the U.S. hockey team from 1980, who told the story about that whole experience at Lake Placid. Wow. Uh, but there's a great one, Jim Eisenreich. We interviewed Jim Eisenreich about overcoming Tourette syndrome and getting his, you know, getting a major league getting his major league career back and winning a world series with the Phils. I mean, it's just, um, I mean, all of these stories are great. They're all there. They're all broken yeah. down. Jamie Moyer is in there. We had George Foreman. Um, we had Michael Buffer came on and talked about how he became Michael Buffer, you know, how mm. the whole, how that whole thing started. So it's been uh, Dick Vermeil, Jay Wright. There's, there's a, there's a little something there for everybody. Mm. Ray Dinger, I have uh, uh, taken up way too much of your time. I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, I figured I had to call on somebody who was the ultimate authority on Eagles football. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you've never had a chance to listen to Ray on TV or radio or read one of his books, uh, you are missing a true treat. Uh, it is my privilege to call you not only a colleague, but more importantly, a friend. He is an author. He is a radio personality. He is a TV personality. And he is a Hall of Fame writer. Ray Dinger, thank you, my man. And hopefully I can talk to you again on Gun on One Down the Road. I look forward to it, Derek. Always a pleasure being with you, and uh, um, I really enjoyed it. And you know, our, we go back a long way, and yeah. I feel the same way about you. You're a true professional. You're a wonderful colleague, and you're a great friend. I've enjoyed this so much. Thanks. Thank you, Ray. And that's going to conclude another edition of Gun on One, the podcast brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. Thank you, everybody, for listening in, and happy Thanksgiving, Ray, to you and your family as well. I want to make sure I say that. You too, Derek. All right, happy Thanksgiving to all of you listeners out there. And as I close this podcast, as I always do, I want to tell everybody out there, 
hopefully, considering the, cons- the situation we're in with this COVID thing, everybody stays blessed. But more importantly, always remember to be a blessing to each and every person you have encountered. This has been Gun on Wonder Podcast. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.